0: Amen. If you have Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Psalm 16. Psalm 16, I'd like to jump right in. We're going to, if you found it, great. If you've got it on your phone, that's fine. But uh, we're just going to read the last couple stanzas of Psalm 16. It'll be verses 7 through 11. I think we have it up on the board as well. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let your holy one see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Tonight, I want to take a few minutes just to spend a little time together in our Bibles. It's not going to be long, it's not going to be a full sermon. Don't worry, we're not going to be here for an hour. But I do want us to get some time in the Word, just looking at the last part. This is what I just read in Psalm 16, and I have a specific goal. Here's what I want to do. I'm on a hunt for joy. I'm looking for joy. I'm looking for happiness, to say it in a more mundane way. I'm looking for happiness specifically in this text. And what is it saying? I think... That in everything we do, not just me, I think all of us, in everything we do, we are looking for joy. Everything. I think we're seeking joy when we worship the Lord. And believe it or not, I think we're seeking joy when we sin. However mistaken our pursuit is, I think that's what we're seeking. Call it happiness or call it joy. You can interchange those words if you want. Everybody is seeking happiness in what they do. The Bible has a lot to say about how to seek joy. It tells us specifically, it gives us some very specific commands when it comes to seeking joy. Specifically, we are commanded to seek the deepest and the most lasting joy that can be found. So, so what is sin? What's the problem with sin? Sin is, it's not that sin is, is, is it's not that sin, the problem with it. Is, is that it's first and foremost something that offends God. That is true. But sin is a false or fleeting joy. And we're commanded by God to seek the highest joy. So sin is a falling short. Amongst other things, there's many other ways to define sin. Sin is a falling short of our full pursuit of joy. It takes the easy way out and it it doesn't bring the joy that it promises. You know this, right? You're sinners in this room, so am I. You know this. Listen to how the author of Hebrews talks about sin. By faith, Moses when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the, what is it? Fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. There's pleasures there. There's pleasures. But the Bible puts a little, not a little word, puts a word in front of it to define those particular pleasures fleeting. Here for a moment and gone. And so what we must not think as Christians is that God says, I want you to be miserable in worship with me rather than enjoy all the fun that's out there. But rather God says, I want you to seek lasting and true and deep satisfaction and joy. And guess what? Sin isn't going to get you there. Sin isn't going to give it to you. I want you to find that which doesn't leave you. Not like the sugar high, right? Of sin. So I'm interested in joy. Specifically the kind of joy that the Bible tells me that I am to have. The kind that is deepest, longest, most satisfying. And I see joy here in these verses. I see it specifically in verse nine. Do you see the word? Verse nine, gladness. That's joy, gladness. And then it's paralleled, right? With my whole being, what does it say? Rejoices. You can see joy in there, right? I'm rejoicing. I'm filled with joy in my whole being, the psalmist says. And then it's there in verse 11, right? You see it, it's clear. Verse 11, fullness of joy. So there's joy all over these passages, And I want to know how do I get it? Because the Bible tells me, pursue it, go after it in its absolute fullest sense. Go after your happiness. Don't stop short. Don't let sin remove your happiness. Go after it. And here's a psalmist. Let's look at verse nine together. The psalmist says, Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Now, many of you know that in Hebrew poetry, you have this, I, this, these parallel lines where they're saying essentially the same thing in a different way. They're called couplets. You put two lines together, and, and it's sort of two ways of saying the same thing. So, therefore, my heart is glad, that's line A, and... Line B, my whole being rejoices, okay? And then he adds one on now, and he adds a third. He says, my flesh also dwells secure. So we have this couplet about rejoicing. My heart is filled with joy. And then we have this, my flesh also dwells secure. But there's also a therefore at the front of the verse. Do you see that? And hopefully, you guys have been coming Now, hopefully by now you get that We got to stop and go back and look when you see it. Therefore, that's such an important word. We go back a verse and we see what is causing the joy. Look at verse eight. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. What caused all that joy that he's experiencing in verse nine? It's right there in verse eight. What's causing it? Here's a point if you're taking notes. The psalmist is joyful because of the security that comes from God's presence. There's security that he's feeling. We live in an insecure world. We live in a world that, first of all, we don't know the future. Second of all, it just seems that every day there is something coming in, whether it's out there in the world or whether it's in our personal lives or whether it's in the lives of people around me or our fellow church members. There's pain. And surprises, not good surprises, right? Not like, oh, wow, you know, I got a gift. No, like hard stuff that's coming our way. We're constantly in upheaval, both in our world and in our personal lives. Nothing is certain from our perspective. Will COVID come back? Will there be a worse virus than COVID? Will an asteroid kill us all will your children's health fail will you lose a spouse will the stock market collapse and erase your retirement i'm not saying these things to torment us i'm not saying these things to just be a downer I wanna show you the futility of simply trusting in this world for our stability and security, right? There's a reason why Jesus says that it's like building a castle or a house on the sand. We simply cannot control it. We cannot see the future. We don't know what to do. We don't know what could possibly happen. We know none of that. But the psalmist has a reason to be joyful here in this psalm. And none of it comes from worldly security, it comes from the stability of the nearness of the Lord. Do you see it there in verse 8? where's the Lord in relation to the psalmist in verse eight? He's near. He's drawn near to the Lord. And therefore he says, I have security. I have security because the Lord is near me. Now I want to ask, what does it look like to have our security in the Lord? What does it look like here? It turns out that it's hard for our sinful hearts to put our security in the Lord. Hopefully that's not a, hopefully that's an obvious statement to all of you. As you look at your lives and as I look at mine, it is hard for a sinful heart to put our trust in the Lord and not to trust in some other thing, whether it be money or just general financial stability or our children or our spouse or the love of our parents or whatever it is, we tend as fallen human beings, to put our trust in something else. And we define stability in terms of those things. I'm stable if this is going well in my life. So as we think about what stability looks like according to the Bible, here's the first thing we got to do. Let God define stability, not you, not me. Let God define what stability is because stability looks like something here in Psalm 16. And it's different than what you and I normally do when we think of our earthly stability and security. What is true stability in God's eyes? What is it? As I read scripture, I see that true stability is found by where you are standing at the end of your race. That's stability. Where are you? When the judgment comes, that's how the Bible defines stability. If you don't believe me, let's let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Here's Paul at the end of his life, and he doesn't use the word stability, but I see the stability of a faithful life right here. All right, here's what he says: I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, I want to say to you guys right now, that saying there is laid up for me a crown. I'm going to be with my God. And there's security and stability in Him being able to say that and to look to that day. Now, look at what Jude 24 says about getting us to that day. Look at what Jude 24 says. Now, to Him, that's God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. You put those two verses together, Paul saying, this is stability, this is, this is security, I'm going to be with him, and then you add in Jude 24, how do we get there? How do we get to that place where we're going to stand with him on that last day? Jude 24 says the Lord is going to keep you, and he's going to bring you there. Put those two verses together. Here's what that does. That gives me and you the security of standing, of knowing that the Lord has got us, that he's keeping us, that he's watching over us, that he has us in his hand and no one is going to snatch us out of it. That's security. That may not be financial security, that's the kind of security we need, though. That's the deepest form of security. But how does someone get... Before I get there, Psalm 16, 10 and 11. Look at, look at what the, the psalmist says. Why is he happy? I'm, a, I'm still asking that question. Look at verses 10 and 11. What is this joy that's coming up? Why, why is he happy? For Verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. Do you see that the psalmist, like Paul, of knowing that the Lord is going to keep him, is going to watch over him, is going to shepherd him and care for him. And he says, I'm joyful and I have security because that's, that's the deepest form that we can have. But let me ask this now. What kind of life gets to that finish line? What kind of life stands at the end of one's life and can say like Paul is, like Paul says, there is laid up for me a crown of eternal life. Is it the kind of life that has dwelled throughout the whole of its life with financial security? Let me ask that question again. The life that gets to the end the life that is eternally secure. Is it eternally secure because if you back up, if you press rewind on that life, you saw nothing but financial security that whole time. Is it the kind of life that feels no sorrow, no pain, no loss? Is it the kind of life that never loses a loved one? Or is it the kind of life that has endured through suffering and the worldly insecurity because of the deeper security of knowing the Lord, okay? So where we're landing is that the insecurities of this life, the lack of knowing the future, the lack of knowing what will happen tomorrow, much less next week or next month. That very insecurity for the Christian, for those who are putting their trust in Christ, that very insecurity is what allows us, which brings about the security of us standing with the Lord in the end because we dwell, we stayed with the Lord through it all. And it was his grace that actually carried us through those moments of pain and sorrow and difficulty. It was his nearness that brought us through those things to the end. Here's the second thing we got to do. First, the first one was that we needed to define security the way the Bible defines security, stability. Second thing the psalmist tells us to do is that we need to draw near to the Lord in worship. Remember how David says it here in the Psalm, Psalm sixteen eight, "I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand; I will I shall not be shaken." What we're doing tonight when we worship. We pray together, songs are being sung, truth is being sung, and we're lifting our voices together, working on engaging our hearts so that the words that we're singing might be true to the depths of our hearts. What we're doing is setting the Lord before us. That's a weird phrase, huh? Set, setting the Lord before us. Does that mean that the God of the universe is like a little statue? I'm going to set him in front of me, right? I'm going to take God. I'm going to set him before me. Is that what David means? Of course not. The picture we're getting here is that our mental and emotional faculties are focused and centralized on God, on who he is. Our mind is thinking about him. We're engaging him with all that we are. We're setting him before us in our minds. We're saying, God, I'm singing to you. I'm singing about you. I'm enjoying you. You're here. You're before me. You're in my presence and I'm in your presence. It's having one's mind set on the Lord. So what have we done tonight? We've stepped aside from our normal Friday night activities, right? Our normal weeknights. And what have we done? We've, we've come together here and we've sung together and we've said, Lord, we want to be near you. We want to be near you. And, and what comes from being near you, the psalmist says, is this sense of security, the deepest kind of security, which leads to joy. So, so uh, his nearness to us is our joy, it's the thing that actually gives us the deepest sense of joy when everything else is falling apart in our lives. So here's point number two, if you're taking notes. The psalmist is joyful because he knows the source of ultimate joy. What does he say now in the second half of verse 11? In your presence, there's fullness of joy. Your right hand our pleasures forevermore. Do you want joy tonight? Do you want lasting joy? There's nothing left to do for us who want joy than to draw near to the God who holds eternal joy in his hands, to come near to him through song, through our hearts engaging him, through the worship that we're doing tonight. And look at what the New Testament tells us we can do. Don't ever stop being amazed at this. Ready? Hebrews ten twenty two. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean. From an evil conscience in our bodies washed with pure water. James 4 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Here's what's amazing about that. Number one, that we can draw near to God. It actually, acts on our behalf to draw near to us. How is any of that true? Because of the cross because of what Jesus did on the cross we can open, we can freely draw near to God and so the command is to draw near to God the command is be joyful <laughs> be happy i've i i heard a theologian once say a true statement that sounds a little weird ready God threatens terrible things if we will not be happy. That's true. Because God says, find your truest and deepest joy in me. And so let's do that together. We're going to sing three more songs. Let's spend time just freely entering the throne room of grace, finding our security, not in the world, but in him, finding our everlasting joy in him alone. Let's do that together. If the worship band would come up, let me, uh, close this in prayer. And then they're going to take us from here. here brother. Father, we come to you who has proclaimed yourself to us through your holy revelation of your Bible to be the God who gives us all joy. All joy is found in you. And we know this to be true because heaven will be a place of joy. And it is—it is, heaven is filled with nothings in so much as it is filled with you. Whatever else heaven is, it is a place where you dwell. And so as we will worship you in heaven one day where sin is totally removed and we can see you face to face, Lord, to the greatest extent possible, we want to worship you now free from the the sin that hangs on to us and clings us and keeps us down. We wanna be free from it and we wanna just freely worship because Christ has set us free because of what he did on the cross. So Lord, we ask you again, come and inhabit our praises as we freely worship you and find the joy that comes from you alone. Pray this in your name. Amen.